I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is John Doerr. He's a stand-up comic, and he also has seizures. Let's talk about it. John Wick. Can you imagine if John Wick was a real person? I don't watch my own work, but uh, I've heard people enjoy it. Yeah, and you're part of the documentary now. Uh, John, Wick, John Wick exists somewhere. There someone, is, out there is, someone out there is, is snapping necks and dude. rolling jujitsu. Yeah. Uh, just killing Russian, ex-KGB Russian uh, assassins yeah. at, at yeah. dozens at a time. I think yeah, it's... That's the thing. That I think is it's happening. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is literally happening. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, and I think it's safe to say, uh, unless we are, we someday we will find out we are uh, um, absolutely wrong about this. But uh, it's safe to say that John Doerr is not out there snapping necks and uh, and uh, taking out the KGB. Uh, although what you are doing uh, is you're out there and you're putting smiles on people's faces, and I think that's far more. Uh, far more enjoyable and uh, far more important in these days. These weird, like this, the complete this weird climate we find ourselves in. Uh, John, I'm 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 fucking super excited to to have you on the show. Um, uh, we, you know, I, I know that we're going to be talking about a couple of different things, but um, uh, I was going through the the the, the sort of uh, prepper notes here, and and it just all I see is John Doerr seizures. And uh, we haven't like we haven't talked about seizures in quite a while. It, one of my favorite episodes that we ever did was back in the day where we covered epilepsy, and uh, we spoke to a really wonderful uh, young woman named Carol who uh, who had some some pretty like harrowing stories. Um, but John, I, I guess I guess to start this off, like, are you if we're talking about seizures, are we talking about are you are you epileptic? What's the what's going on with your life? Are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot there. There's a lot there. Um, I would not consider myself an epileptic. Uh, however, the diagnosis I was given when I had an uh, when I had a seizure, my first seizure, was uh, f- focal epilepsy. So a very specific. I guess g- I think they use general or global to describe other forms of epilepsy, but mine was caused by hmm. something called sharp waves on the left side of my brain. That was the ultimate diagnosis that they gave me after a series of sharp EEGs. Waves. Sharp so, waves, uh, sharp like you know, like mm-hmm. like like sharp like like. Yeah, it just re- it it only refers to it. I mean, I, it might even have another description. It only refers to the pattern readout on the EEG. So it's oh. how your brain waves are monitored. So when okay. they spike and they get sharp, then you know that's the description. So all it means is it puts me, my makeup, who I am. It puts me in a higher a, a category of people that have a seventy percent higher chance of a seizure reoccurring. So when I had my first seizure four years ago now, five years ago, um, I, they, they suggested I go on anticonvulsants. And oh. I said, no. Well. I said, no, because there's side effects. I'll take other drugs, but I won't take those. Uh, and then a year later, I had a second seizure, uh, grand mal. So I, I thought, okay, maybe doctors know what they're talking about. So <laughs> I took her advice the sure. second time Possibly. Around. But you can't wait, trust wait, them. Wait, I, I'm, I'm so interested in that in that. And that so, I guess my first question is: is is were you otherwise healthy before you had this first seizure? Uh, okay, because I I always wonder. I think there's been moments in my life where like I sort of identify as a, a mostly healthy person. Um, right. I've experienced a bit of like mental health challenges um, through right. the course, especially over the last like four or five years. But like I've had moments in my life where I've all of a sudden like felt something happening inside of my body that I couldn't quite p- put my finger on and it almost sort of like changed my perception of reality and like it like generated this like fear feeling of fear of like whoa something's going on and I haven't experienced a, a seizure before but I could imagine that 
you know, in the moment of whether you realize it's happening or or you sort of like come to afterwards and realize what happened, I imagine that that be that would be like an extremely terrifying thing, especially if if there was no indicator that something like that was yeah. was going to happen. Um, but for you, were like, were you dealing with other things in your life in terms of your health uh, that that could have been an indicator that something like this was about to happen, or what? What was your like overall health like before this? Yeah, absolutely. There, could, I mean, looking back, of course, um, I, I mean, th- th- so there's no specific indicators that people talk about when they have seizures, like uh, noticing an aura or certain right. behavior. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes they'll even say 24 hours <clears throat> before you will see the signs of a seizure, whether that's anxiety. But if you look into the reasons why people could have a seizure, I mean, it's almost day-to-day activity. Um, You know, it's like any kind of anxiety, stress, uh, things like that. So, of course, I guess you try and do things to minimize um, those things. But so, yes, my lifestyle is much different now, but not that much different. I was definitely playing with fire. I was in a stressful, it was a stressful time in my life. I was moving from one area of California to another. I was going through a breakup. Um, There were all those things going on. Um, and again, I'd lived my entire life up until the age of 40 without having a seizure. And then I went to play poker with a group of friends, no indicator other than, uh, there were those things going on in my life, but they're not unusual. Everyone Mm. moves, everyone goes through a breakup, but why at this point in my life did everything, why was there a perfect storm of situations that occurred, Mm -hmm. uh, that led me to have this seizure? So the story of the seizure itself is to me quite fascinating, um, but I mean, yeah, I'm, well, I, I, I'm, I'm a smoker. I like alcohol. I, um, I was definitely taking advantage of, uh, you know, prescription drugs that were not prescribed to me. So I, I was living a lifestyle, uh, and there's probably a lot of reasons why I got there, but I was living a lifestyle that probably wasn't healthy. And those are a mm. lot of those things, you know, if you go off them after taking a lot of them, uh, people can talk about, People do talk about having seizures as seizures as a result. Uh, I mean, I don't think I was taking them to the degree where that would be the cause of my seizure. But yeah, I wasn't mm-hmm. living a healthy lifestyle. Mm. You what said you were the, going like, to play. You said you were going to play poker, um, and yeah. and that sounds like a story. But I'm I'm just wondering where, like, to uh, <laughs> so not to expedite your story for you, but were you just about to play mm-hmm. like the greatest bluff of all times, and and that oh. and that's the stress of holding your cards close to your chest and trying to pull that off. Like it just, just well, triggered you to <laughs> drop at the table. Well, here's the weird. So here's the thing. So I was in a, po- I, I, these are guys that you kind of know, like these are the best poker uh, uh, rooms to play in. It was at a, a, you know, a quote unquote friend's house. I knew one guy, but you don't want to know people well, cause you want to take their money. So yeah. you don't want to play with your best friends. <laughs> so the stakes aren't super high, but they're not low. It's like, you know, you buy in for a couple hundred and you repop. So you're, you're probably going to spend about five, 600 bucks on a night. So you want to take home like, you know, a thousand five hundred. So it, it's a fun game of poker and the stakes are high enough. Um, but, but the worst part about not knowing people and not knowing that I was going to have a seizure was I was there. I remember playing poker. We'd probably been there for an hour. I'd been in five or six hands and I remember being in a hand. That's the last thing I remember. Uh, and then the next thing I knew I woke up in a hospital. So 45 minutes had transpired. I don't remember, I don't remember having a seizure. I don't remember. And then everyone else who witnessed me flopping around on the ground, I don't know well if they were my close friends. You know, they'd probably know what to do, but because... Right, quick, take you know, his I money. I don't know these people. Yeah, they, <laughs> well, this is the, uh, you know, there's honor amongst thieves because they did, uh, they, I did win the hand. <laughs> so oh, no. I, I, I checked my email like three days later after, you know, the morphine and worn off because I had fractured a bone in my neck when I fell. That's the Whoa. other thing with seizures. It's not the Whoa. seizure. It's not... It's not the seizure itself. It's where you are mm. when it happens that can mm-hmm. be lethal. Yeah. If you're driving a car or you know on an escalator, who knows? But yeah, I fell, and <clears> I guess <throat> the way I fell and hit my head, uh, it fractured a bone in my neck. So anyway, woke up in the hospital, and then three days later got an email saying, um, uh, good news is you won the hand, so I made a straight on the river. Uh, bad news <laughs> is you have a tell. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, right. Now they know. You start Chance to shake and one. convulse um, and you fall to the ground and then we know that you you have got a good hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the nicknames just never stopped. You know, the, the you know, John loves the flop, you know. <laughs> These are easy jokes to yeah. make, but they're still fun. So what so what is the so you, you you have you have this seizure, you wake up in the hospital and you know, you don't remember you obviously you've got this things are blurry, you don't mm-hmm. really know what was going on. What is 
you know, what is the discovery process and the process with the doctors to go, hey, you, yeah. you know, this person, you've never had a seizure before in your life. And all of a sudden, just like that, you've got a seizure. And, uh, and, mm-hmm. and what is the process of figuring out what that means for you and going forward in the discussions you have with doctors? Yeah. So a lot of denial. Uh, but, you know, at first coming to, um, yeah, you wake up in a hospital and you're told you have a seizure, but you're already, you know, on pain medicine. So, hmm. um, you know, I'm also now relying on memories uh, that are probably not that vivid. So a lot of my memories are people that were there with me. Um, but you begin the negotiation process for more drugs. Um, so that started quite quickly because I was very relaxed. So my friends tell me anyway, but I was very relaxed when they told me you've had a seizure and I was like, okay, moving on. But I do remember feeling excruciating pain. That's what really brought me back. And that was all the tearing of like, who knows, like from the convulsing, like muscles and tendons in my back. And then my neck was in excruciating pain, obviously because of the fracture. Um, so yeah, I'm told I had a seizure and I don't really know what that means other than, well, people have had seizures before. Okay. I'm, I'll be fine. Uh, but they were worried, you know, you're surrounded by spine doctors and neurologists and nurses and, uh, yeah. So the immediate aftermath was, yeah, I was told they had a seizure. It's very calm about the whole thing. Um, and, um, yeah, they spiked me with Dilaudid. Um, because I was in so much pain, um, then I threw up in the hospital in front of all these spine doctors and strangers. Oh, and here's a very Hollywood story. My agent showed up. So only in Hollywood does your agent show up at the hospital to make sure you're okay. Um, but yeah, so I remember barf, I remember throwing up in front of my agent and these doctors and it's a wonderful thing, uh, throwing up in front of strangers. It's Mm. one of the only times you're going to hand them a bag and they say, thank you. Um, Mm. so yeah, it was a very, uh, bizarre, the aftermath immediately was bizarre. And yeah, there was a lot of concern from other people, but for whatever reason, I didn't feel it. And to this day, I don't think I take it as seriously as I should. I am medicated now. But uh, yeah, it was a long process. Of, it was in the hospital for four days. And a lot of that had to do with the neck and then running EEGs and MRIs, trying to figure out what's going on. Um, where, where, does the, where, does, where does the denial come from, do you think? Like, like when, you say, when you say there was denial, like, are you, are you in, what are you in denial of? Like that there's an underlying issue or that like that the, that this could happen again? Like, what, what's the denial? I think I chalked it up to lifestyle. And because they couldn't initially... To diagnose why you have a seizure is not something... Unless, unless they do an MRI uh, and they see a brain tumor. Mm. You know, it's not... It's, there's, nothing is obvious. So it takes... You could, so, so yeah, like, the best analogy is probably you wear a heart monitor to detect, like... Um, Whatever, whatever problem with your heart, you wear that for 24 days straight and they're able to see your heart at rest, at activity, and they can pinpoint exactly what's going on with your heart. With an EEG, it, take, it took months and months and months of repeat appointments because they want to see you at different times of day. They want to mm. see you when you're tired, when you're wide awake. And so it took a long time for them to discover their sharp wave. So by the time, this is six months after my seizure and I'd been seizure-free since, uh, although I was in a neck brace at home, so my lifestyle had become much more, you know, s- subdued. Um, but yeah, just over time, I thought, well, I haven't had another seizure. I'm not epileptic. I made all these decisions in my mind, and I decided that if I were to take medication for it, which has side effects, that's going to be an inconvenience. I think I decided it's going to be more of an inconvenience to accept a medical diagnosis. Right. Um, because there, even, there wasn't one for a long time. And then when I did get it, I refused it. And I got a second opinion. And the next neurologist I went to suggested that I did not have to take the medication. Hmm. And then months uh, a, a month after that, I had my second seizure. So yeah, right, right. You know, <laughs> the jury's out. It's it's really interesting. Like they they arrived at this diagnosis. I, I think Cedar Sinai, uh, their neurology department decided that. Um, regardless of why you're having a seizure, you had a grand mal seizure. Mm. And this is very serious stuff. So, you know, they take your driver's license away immediately. Like your freedom is instantly removed as it should be. Um, So it took me a long time to come around to taking this medication. It took a second seizure, which is ridiculous. So, um, yeah, I think things that will, I feel will inconvenience my life, I resist. Um, And in hindsight, it wasn't an inconvenience at all. Yeah. I find that interesting because like I, so, you know, you as a, as a stand-up comedian, um, Mm. I, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are 
in terms of like, um, in terms of turmoil and hardships in life, because I, you know, I, I, I love, I love the art of standup comedy. It's, it's probably, it's probably my favorite art form that it, that exists. And I love hearing comedians talk to other comedians. Um, and one thing that I hear a lot uh, from from a number of the comedians that I tend to listen to, whether that's through podcasts or whatever, um, you know, is hearing like <clears throat> hearing the sentiment that uh, most, if not all, you know, comedians come from some sort of trauma. Like, the, like it, it, you you can't be a comedian unless you've come from a broken home, or you can't be a comedian unless you've had you know you've had some sort of. And and of course, there's like the argument that there's there there are comedians out there that were like, well, my, my, you know, my parents loved me, and I actually had a really great upbringing. But but a lot of comedians are you know they they attribute the trauma that they went through in their in their lives as as a as a, a youth to being one of the things that lifted them up to be f- funny and, and to, f- to find an outlet um, through, through their use of, of humor and, and through their use of comedy. So I'm, I'm wondering like what your views are on, based on everything you just said, like what are your views on, on going through really rough patches in life and, and like do you see those as opportunities to to hone your craft further and to, you know, like, or, 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 you know, as opportunities to draw from for, for material. Yes, absolutely. But I, um, I'm not sure if I can make a connection between, I think you have two thoughts going on there. Am I mistaken? Like, are you talking a little bit about the trauma of why you would start like the, the trauma from someone's youth that a lot of communities use to describe why they get into comedy or, yeah, I or, and I, then are you also asking about um, do I use material, dramatic material as as material? Yeah, I guess, I guess, I guess, I guess the the point I was making was like a lot of comedians seem to um, see that trauma that they come from as like a gift, right? So like hardship oh. equals equals funny. Hardship equals like hardship can be turned into a currency that is laughs, and yes, and yes, so okay. I'm wondering if if like the this particular hardship that you've been through, like, you know, hearing you say that there's like denial, it makes me wonder if there, if you ever looked at it from a perspective of going like, of of, of feeling grateful that you're going through this bullshit because you're like, Hey, great. I've got more material that I can take up to the stage with me. (laughs) I feel like there's a lot going on there in that question. And I love all of it. Um, I, I really do the, uh, wow. So the triumph over some sort of trauma, Um, Yeah, I don't know if I'm the right person to talk about there. Uh, Comedy is something that is really easy and fun to do. Easy in this sense that uh, it's not nine to five. I didn't have to graduate college, even though I did. Um, But like it it, it you could live in a nightclub and drink alcohol and hang out with friends. And it felt like work, even though it kind of wasn't work. And Mm. then you start to get paid for. It was more of finding a crack in the system. Um, I think if I really wanted to zero in on it, and I hate to do this because, uh, you know, uh, to describe like, you know, a lot of people can do this much better than I can. Um, you know, the Chappelle's of the world can talk about influencing culture and changing the way people think. And, um, I mean, that's not me. I am, if anything, sometimes quite satirical when it comes to comedy itself. Um, but I could probably, you know, find a path back in my mind and revisit my youth. And comedy was definitely a defense mechanism. Um, I mean, if you've never, if you've ever been, you know, punched in the face, uh, that's not a good feeling and you don't want it to happen again. Mm. So, you know, to become kind of the funny guy, I think I definitely also felt, uh, yeah, I felt at one point in my youth, um, quite alone. Uh, I guess we all have, but in a way where I felt like, you know, I started to maybe borderline paranoid, but not paranoid, more anxiety, I'd say, social anxiety. And I think humor helped deal with that. So I don't know. I think, yeah, people just have to be funny if they want to succeed or get into comedy. That helps. Uh, You can learn aspects of the craft. But um, yeah, when it comes to this bigger, like, legacy story, uh, I don't think I'm the right person to talk to. Right, sure. I I hear the point that you're making, Jared, and I almost think of it in in 
like I'm I'm not a stand-up comedian, so I can't speak for stand-up comedians, but I think of it in in relationship to what we do on this podcast. So we talk to people who live with illness and we try to find humor and levity in those situations. And that in in and of itself is sort of this like coping mechanism, this like this way to cope with those stories and and reframe those stories in your mind so that you can find this sort of comfort in the experience and challenges that you've been through. And I have heard that notion that, that you were saying, Jer, about comedians like, you know, taking advantage of of traumatic experiences that they've been through and using that as material. But I've always seen that as a way for them to sort of like find their way to like retell the story to themselves in a way that's that's funny and that they can share with others to sort of um yeah, I guess reframe the story for themselves so that it makes it easier for 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 them to deal with those experiences too. And and by nature of like that coping mechanism existing, it provides laughters and benefits to other people. But really, I, I feel like it must be a, an extremely extremely therapeutic experience for them hmm. to like tell huh. those stories. Mm-hmm. Well, the the therapy or the drug that I'd be hooked on is the laugh. So I mean, I, I mean, maybe it's therapeutic. I'm probably the wrong person to talk to about this <laughs> uh, because I am a stand up comedian, but I also can't speak on behalf of all stand up comedians. I can only no, yeah, tell right, you that. To me, yeah. it's fun to frame. Like when I did talk about having my seizure on stage, I framed it as uh, I'm going to write a book called How to Have Fun in the Hospital. Uh, so the hospital traditionally a very dark place for people. I mean, even if you went in with a broken bone or like not, I shouldn't say even, but like, you know, something that you get in a cast in your home, whatever it is, the hospitals are a horrible place, especially in the United States where people are being bankrupted if they don't have the proper insurance, et cetera. So they're these dark places. But the thought of, I'm going to write a book called How to fun, Have Fun in the Hospital. And then I would trivialize the seriousness of what I experienced. So the free drugs I would get and the idea Ooh. that, and I'm paying for these things. It's my insurance plan. Um, you know, they'd come in and ask you, what's your pain level from zero to 10? 10, always. Don't ask me again. Why is that even a question? The question is, how much fun do you want to have? Do you want to have 10? Do you want to have no? Do you want to have 10, 10 units of fun or zero units of fun? So, so the idea. So now, of course, now, now of course, you know, t- uh, you know, drugs obviously being a very serious thing, but like to t- talk about the experience of being in the hospital and having these choices. I mean, to me, those are fun things to talk about. And I know they're also walking that line of, well, hey, people's lives can be ruined by these things. But uh, Mm -hmm. I'm commenting on the fact that you're asked these questions in the hospital. So, um, uh, yeah, I'm trying to get back to the root of your question, which is, uh, I don't know if it's an opportunity. Whatever would have happened to me in my life, I would have talked about. So whether it's in the hospital Mm -hmm. or if I didn't have a seizure, I probably would have talked about that poker game. That mm-hmm. went very yeah, well. Right, very, right. Walked yeah, away yeah. the winner. So I don't know if it's. And it's very helpful. Yeah. It's very. It's very helpful for you. It's very helpful. I mean, it can be helpful for you to speak about that when you know when you say you you mention that on stage and <clears throat> you talk about that and you put it in these um, and you know you frame up some of the situations that you have in the hospital. I mean, it's very. It's very good. It's helpful for you, and it's also helpful because it's your experience, and it's not, mm-hmm. and you're not, like you said, you know, that you're trivializing something that is for a lot of people really serious. Like opioid use, obviously, is very serious, but mm-hmm. it's your experience. You get to talk about it. You get to frame it in your own way, mm-hmm. which is helpful for you, and also helpful for people that listen to that who have gone through or might go through that same experience mm-hmm. later. Which will inevitably, because I've been there in the hospital taking pain pills, and you know, mm-hmm. being in, in in tons of pain, and it's sucking, but having you know, falling back on friends who who come in and poke fun at me for, you know, being semi-lifeless in a hospital bed and, and having good fun of it. And right. and it's kind of this way of like I remember I remember hearing Bill Burr say one time, like, you know, everybody everybody loves the, everybody loves a comics material until it's about until it's about them. And like until it touches the, something that they've that they've had to go through or mm-hmm. that affects their life. Like only when it's about somebody else's life. They, you know, they'll laugh about it. And then as soon as the jokes and as soon as the jokes about them, then it's, Hey, that's not very funny. Um, and, uh, and, but, but in, in the way that you frame that and in the way that, um, I was actually, I was just going through your Wikipedia before we started here and I saw that you've been on tour with Tignataro and I know that she's done material on, on, uh, on breast cancer and, um, and, um, I'm, I'm blanking on his name. Um, who's the comic who did the, it was like the three mics 
And he talks about a lot about mental health. Neil Brennan. Oh, Neil, Neil Brennan, Brennan. Yeah. Neil Brennan. And, uh, and, and taking those, taking those, those things that are very personal experiences to do with health, mental health, physical health, whatever it is. Um, and framing it up in this, like in this way, that's funny. I mean, I think we resonate with it because like we talk about this shit on the show all the time. We talk with people who have gone through any number of things and we try to, we try to have like a serious and heartfelt and meaningful conversation with laughter and to like draw out to draw out what is funny about that situation, even though it sucks. And, 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 and like, how can we, how can we kind of learn more about ourselves by, by finding the humor (coughs) in in those experiences? And, uh, I don't know. I just, I, 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 I love that there are, I love that people out there that are, that are doing what you do, that, that are doing stand up that, that will go into those places and, and say, Hey, this, uh, you know, this, this, this really sucks, but like, here's like, here's these pieces of this that I was able to draw out and, and have a good laugh about. And like, here's something really funny about the way that the doctors gave me pain medication. (laughs) Yeah. John, I I I wanted to come. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. ahead. It's a bit of a delay. Um, No, I, I, I I was was just going (laughs) to, there we go. Brian, shut the fuck up. (laughs) No, you take it, you take it and run with it. I was essentially just going to agree anyway and say that, yeah, you know, I mean, you have to look at, I mean, if the job is to tell a story on stage, you have to find the funny moments. And yeah, I mean, it is relatable and interesting. And it's also a dark period of time. Like I would love to hear someone talk about a horrible experience and make it funny. I mean, I mean, I think we're all guilty of the details of a funeral, you know, like Mm. we've all been sitting in pews and listening and things feel weird and tense, you know, like there's, there's, there's an opportunity to mine that experience, you know, for something funny and to find the right way to tell it. That's fascinating to me. It doesn't have to be, it's Mm. not for everyone, but I mean, it is interesting. Um, So yeah, same thing, hospital. um, Yeah, there's a way to make these things funny and interesting because it is how we manage pain and manage our life. I mean, Mm. how are we going to heal unless we are not suffering? And so we alleviate suffering with pain medication. Um, So while you're healing, uh, then I mean, then a side effect of this pain medication, though, are the bizarre thoughts and things you're going to say and your friends are going to record and write down. And, you know, you're also trying to make light of the situation because you have guests there. So when a, you know, a nurse walks in, uh, you might say to him that you make a joke with him in front of your friends. So uh, it's just... And by the way, this is all we have is one shot at this stupid thing called mm-hmm. life. So you might as well try and make it yeah. fun. I think it all comes down to that is uh, we are going to die. Um, so you might as well uh, you might as well say 10, even if you're a one in the hospital. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Good point. I hope that's John, the message John. people take away today is you're always a 10. You're it's a, a self-esteem 10. boost too. Think about that. Like, what are you? I'm a 10. It feels good. <laughs> I, I I wanted to come back to yeah. I feel bad. We to, I was talking over you earlier. Sorry about that. No, it's okay. I was talking over you too. We're on a bit of a delay, so it's it happens. It's fun. Uh, I I wanted to come back, but to I just want to apologize the, because I want to make it clear that I am sorry. <laughs> I, I really appreciate your apology. Okay. Um, I I wanted to come back to why the, did you laugh so, though? Like are you being sincere? <laughs> Now you're making me okay, fake no, no. laugh to make you feel comfortable. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> oh, you don't have to make me. F- I'm, I, I'm always uncomfortable. Think of your favorite one hit wonder. Or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have. Or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon. Now, what if we could fix it? I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm Delon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention, but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I wanted to come back to the the second seizure that you had because it almost seemed like... You know, like we ask these sort of like existential questions and and are projecting a little bit in 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 these ideas that that we've had and sort of like seeing if we can fit them to to your situation here. But like it seemed like mostly after the first seizure, you were sort of like, 
okay, it is what it is. You know, I'm not going to take this too seriously. But then you you mentioned earlier that when that second seizure happened, you know, specifically after you had sort of gone to this doctor for a second opinion, you know, like a, a week or a month after um, that happened and, and, and it was sort of this like more serious event. Did your perspective change on your health after that or, or was it more of the same? No, it's amazing what it's going to get me to change. I don't know what it is. It's definitely improved. So uh, I live a healthier life, but not a healthy life. Um, so that second seizure, um, by the way, and just to be clear, for people who are a little unsure, like uh, like even being familiar with what a seizure is, like a grand mal seizure is sudden abnormal electrical activity of your brain. Your brain shuts off. Mm. And then for me anyway, it's about 45 minutes later, I begin to come to, and there's no memory. It's like a hard drive powering down. Like I don't remember it happening. I just know there's a gap in Crazy. time that's missing. Which is such so, a weird whoa. feeling, you know, like to lose a chunk of your time. Bizarre. It's fu- It's fucked. Like It's almost yeah. amazing in a strange mm. way. Like mm-hmm. it's, I, I hate to use the word awesome, but it is this sensation that, I mean, there's time missing and things happening um, and you're present for it, but completely unaware. So, you know, there's a, you know, a drunk blackout, uh, but this is just, it just comes out of nowhere. Um mm. So, uh, but anyway, so to answer your question though, um, yeah, I mean, my lifestyle definitely changed. So the, here's my changes, which are foolish <laughs> and please, no one should follow Here's here's the other thing. This is my life. I'll do what I want with it. Um, but I, my big change was I'm not drinking hard alcohol anymore. So there's no more Jameson on the rocks. Um, so now I just drink beer and I drink it rarely. But there are times when I have a little bit more of it. Um, but yeah, I drink beer and light beer, and that is it. And I am now on medication. And they suggest with this medication not to drink. So I still think light beer is okay. So I'm still in just this weird denial. But my, my but, but that said, I'm, I've cut out most everything else. So um, I have made changes. My doctor, when I go in to see her, my neurologist, <laughs> I can't say doctor anymore. It's very specific. They always ask me how much I drink, and uh, which is. I mean, it's a very rude question, but... Uh, of course. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm never really honest with them, but uh, they definitely want to know, you know, what is your lifestyle like, how much alcohol are you consuming? But uh, I do exercise a little bit more, and I've changed my diet a little bit, but to be honest with you, yeah, I am a poor specimen for improvement. And uh, that's, uh, yeah, that's part of my DNA. I've been like that my whole life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Did you feel like, did you feel, um, I mean, especially after the second seizure when, when things... <laughs> Uh, seem to like become more more real for you um, is there like we spend so we spend so much time becoming who we are and then mm-hmm. and then then and then solidifying that over time as well so like you kind of spend this amount of time in your life getting to where you are becoming who you are adding these things and then solidifying it over time and then all of a sudden forty years old seizure like does that did that feel like an identity change? Was that a part of the was that a part of the denial? Mm. Does it feel like does it feel like oh shit? If I accept that I've got a that I have I had this seizure and that I'm susceptible to more seizures and that I might be you know that seizures might become a part of my life that I'm a different person now and and obviously wow. at, at any age I think I think after 25 I mean fuck changing is hard um, and, and yeah. accepting a change is hard. Did it, did, did that register at all? That might be too thoughtful a question for some for someone as ignorant as me. Um, I, I, I no, honestly, I don't. That's know the if ultimate I really compliment it that for way. me. I, I rarely look inwards, or perhaps I look more <laughs> inwards more often than I think. But uh, I don't know if it was that. I think I, I'm a bizarre case study because you know it was it, it was I knew there were side effects with this medication or there Mm. could be not that there would Mm. be there could be and the fact that there could be side effects 
That was enough for me to say, no, there's not enough clear evidence to suggest I need to take these. I don't want these to be pushed on me. And the other big thing was this. Once you go on this seizure medication called Keppra, it's the generic one that they start everyone with. And if uh, you don't have side effects, or if you do have side effects, they'll wean you off and get you on something else. But if you stop taking it immediately, one of the side effects is having a seizure. So I think that was the concern. Was Am I going to start taking something that I won't have access to one day and then have another seizure? So it was a very confusing time, but I don't think it was about I'm going to identify as someone who has seizures. That's That would never concern me. I mean, I don't think that kind of change, I, I think anyway, who knows? Mm. Uh, who knows what any of us are thinking at any one time and what's real or not, but... <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, mean, I, did, I wasn't worried it would redefine me as who I was. Like, I'm the seizure guy, you know? I wouldn't, mm-hmm. like, I never looked at myself as being labeled as anything. You, uh, John, you're from Canada, correct? Correct. Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Uh, lovely, lovely town. Uh, I've heard of it. Uh, <laughs> and you, so, you know, you have the seizure in the U.S., and... We, I mean, we've had a number of people, we, we've had a lot of Canadian guests on the show, we've had a lot of American guests on the show, and, and oftentimes when they'll, they'll talk about their healthcare experience, we'll get like the US listeners right in to be like, what the, f- what the fuck? Like, that's what, that's what your system's like up there? And then, you know, when we speak to a, an American, we'll get the Canadian listeners right in to, to express their disdain about how the, the American system works. Um, what, what was the, how, how long had you been living in the US uh prior to the the seizure and then when you started you know when you got inserted into the medical system um down there in the states what was that what was that experience like was it was it something you were you were uh was it something you had expected was it or was it uh was it something something else entirely okay so i i lived i lived in los angeles at the time i had lived there for about seven years uh, prior to having my seizure, um, I was very lucky to be on um, my uh, union's health plan, mm. uh, which was very good. I was taken immediately to Cedar Sinai Hospital, so I feel very fortunate and really lucky. Um, I still, I mean, I mean, there's still expenses um, that go along with it, but uh, I was very lucky. I mean, I, I, the bill I got for three day, three and a half days in the hospital. I mean. I mean, it was like a hundred and what was it, hundred and sixteen thousand dollars, I think, which was Whoa. the majority of which was covered. But I can only imagine, like, wow. um, mm-hmm. now I mean, there's different tiers, obviously, but that's the health system. I, um, I, it, it was very thorough in that. I mean, I had everyone's attention um, as much as I can remember, and I was checked on constantly, and I was. You know, I spent very little time in my room. I was taken for MRIs, for EEGs. Someone would come and check on me. I mean, there's, yeah, the difference would be I don't have a corresponding experience in Canada to compare it to. Like, I wish, in a weird way, I wish I had a seizure in Canada to compare the process, you know? Mm. I mean, that sounds strange, but, um, and I think it depends where you are. I mean, Cedar sinai I mean, it's world-renowned, and their neurology department is top top shelf. So Mm -hmm. I was very fortunate. But again, there are Canadian neurologists in the system there uh, from my limited experiences. Great. My mother had a seizure uh, based on something she was, a medication she was taking. And she, her experience was wonderful at the Ottawa Civic Hospital. So, I mean, um, I don't know how to answer that question because it's too, my experience there was too unique. All I can talk about is I feel lucky that I had the insurance at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's probably pretty... Oh, sorry, Bri. No, no, it's okay. I'm used to getting cut off. Oh. <laughs> oh, burn. I was just gonna. I was just gonna say that I that I that I mean, you know, with the with the, with healthcare systems, I mean, you've got like the macro things, like the way the overall healthcare systems works, and then you've got the people that work at the yeah. hospitals, mm. and like the and like, you know, I think when you you know we you can we can talk about you know the healthcare systems and the difference between them all day, but at the end of the day, when you get you know, if you've got good people working within those hospitals that aren't, and that aren't stretched like crazy thin, um, then, I mean, you're going to get a good, you're going to get, you're going to get good people taking care of you and, and, and giving you, you know, the experience that you should have in the hospital, which is being taken care of. So it's good to, it's good to hear because you get that, you get that for being Canadian. And I'm sure maybe before mm-hmm. your experience of, of living down in the States, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you had a bit of a, like, a not so great 
perspective on the American healthcare system. Like it's, it seemed like, Oh, the money and the insurance and all this. I mean, that's how, that's what my perspective is. And I talk about this shit all the time. I'm, I mean, I'm glad that you had well, a good experience. I will, but I will tell you one thing that you I mean, one thing you just brought up is there is an, uncom- an uncomfortable feeling and no matter what department of a hospital you leave, when I leave neurology or wherever I leave, if I'm getting an X-ray or an EEG, wherever I'm leaving, there there is this pay station, and it feels mm. like taking your car in for a tune-up. It feel it feels really mm. really strange, and that's the one thing about Canada. My mother's uh, a retired nurse and worked in um, at the Ottawa Civic Hospital, um, and she has worked. I mean. She was a, a technician at the Heart Institute. She worked in recovery rooms. She's seen it all, done it all. And, uh, yeah, she'd come home with these amazing stories. And, you know, she does it because she loves it and wants to help people. And it's this, it's like, you know, please pay at the second window feeling at a drive through And it's, you're, mm-hmm. it's a very strange feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so that's the Do one thing like I don't like. like. You can't get out. You can't get out until you visit that station. And it's uh, right. like when you see security guards. Uh, not that there shouldn't be a security guard, but um, it's a. That's the one difference. Is like this one step you gotta. This one hoop you gotta jump through before you leave. Right. That's mm. so interesting. It's I, a strange I, I feeling because like that Canadian that feeling of like we are all the one common denominator or, or equalizer is this healthcare system that can kind of hold us together. Maybe it's not the best in every area, um, but it is if you're sick, we will we will collectively do our best. That's what our taxes do. Mm. And that feeling that's missing from the <clears throat> United States is mm-hmm. really, I, I think it would also relieve everyone's, uh, uh, it would it would unify people in a better sense of uh, like everyone's mental health would be that much better mm. just knowing there's like this safety net or parachute, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's re- it's weird. It's a very weird feeling. Yeah. Before um, you go, get your get your debit card out. I thought <laughs> you were referring to the the parkade pay station for a minute, and I was like, I was like, I fucking hate that's the that one thing too. we have in it's, common. It's so that's annoying. We have in common. <laughs> Canada in the states, you're gonna pay for yeah. fucking parking. Yeah, yeah. I I lived in uh, I lived in Dubai for a bit, and it's the same thing there. Uh, I went to the hospital a few times, um, even for just like small tests. And there's like the the security around the exit is, is it's it's intense. But like the the worst thing is the pay station is just sort of like tucked away in the back corner too. Like it's it's almost like out of the way. Like they're they're sort of embarrassed about it, so they just like tuck it away, oh. and they're like go into the back corner and pay your bill, and then you're allowed to leave. It's it's. It's really mm. weird. But um, uh, John, I wanted to ask, did you say your first seizure was four years ago? Four, did you say? Uh, approximately. Um, okay. My memory's not as good as it used to be. So yeah, yeah I was 39 or 40. Okay. Yeah, I believe 40. So, so yeah. Um, and, and you mentioned that, uh, that like they, they can, you know, seizures can sort of be brought on by a number of different things could be related to stress and, and anxiety. And when you first mentioned that, I thought of like this past year for me has been, especially past six months has been like a time of high stress, high levels of anxiety, borderline burnout, um, a lot going on. And, uh, I was, I was curious if, if like how you've been number one dealing with the stress of the past year mm. and if you've had any, if there's any relationship to this idea of, you know, trying to, I, I know that you said that like <laughs> this idea of self betterment isn't, ne- isn't necessarily motivation for you, but is it something that has mm. become, um, that you've been more conscientious about given the state of the fact that we've been going through a global pandemic and, you know, as somebody right. who who works in a, a career of performance, um, where a lot of those jobs have been affected, obviously, I imagine that there's a high level of stress there too. Has has there been any relationship with with that and your health? <sighs> that is a great question. I wow. Um, I wish I could. S- I mean, okay, look, we all, every human being has the potential to have a seizure. I happen to be in a category of people based on, you know, these sharp waves in the left side of my brain where I have a higher chance of having one. So I'm now taking anticonvulsants. So the anxiety and stress brought on by living in a global pandemic and worrying about, you know, economic income, uh, my well-being, um, isolating myself, um, all of that is definitely there. 
um, I guess I feel a sense of comfort or a safety net because I am taking these anticonvulsants. So when it comes to actually having a seizure, I think I feel okay. As far as just my own mental health and uh, where I go, um, I yeah I I definitely yeah I'm not I'm not the right person to talk to. I don't know what it is about me, but I feel like things are definitely going to get worse before they get better. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we've seen the worst yet. The worst yet. Um, but again, that's just probably my negative thinking. Who knows? Um, so it was a bit of the question, like, how am I, what am I doing to combat like these things that could I, I contribute was, to I, a- it was, it was more so a question because I know that you've, you've sort of answered a lot of our questions in the sense that like, you know, it's not, it's not something I oftentimes worry about or it's not something like I, like, it, it seems like you don't stress too much about those things, but like, um, so I was, I guess I was, I was asking like, given this, the fact that we have been going through this global pandemic and it's tough for everybody and, and mm-hmm. stressful on your mental health, is there a relationship with, with your seizures and that, or like, have you just been mm-hmm. sort of like dealing with your mental health in a, in a, in, in this sort of fashion that a lot of people have, um, where we just don't really know what to do given the fact that this is sort of the first time yeah. that we've had to go through something like this. Yeah, I don't I yeah, I don't know uh what I'm doing to uh I don't look at my mental health as something I and I probably should. I don't look at my mental health uh, I don't necessarily make it a priority in that I know if I do these things uh <clears throat> I will feel better. Um, some come naturally. You go for a jog, you get oxygen in your blood. I mean, obviously, you're going to feel better. Um, so I try and do those things, but I don't have a regular routine. My girlfriend is all about mental health and has a process mm. and self-care and very regimented approach to staying happy and healthy. Um, yeah, I think I'm either too lazy or ignorant or I have this fleeting, <laughs> life is fleeting approach. And this is not a dark thing at all. It just feels like a uh, things are what they are. We'll mm. get our vaccine scene when it's our turn um does that make everything better no but uh in the meantime yeah you know um i'm i'm i can always crack a beer and relax at the end of the day <laughs> <laughs> that's right uh, uh that? tell it t- tell us about uh the new show that's uh that's coming out that you've been working on uh humor resources mm-hmm. uh i'm i the 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 premise is really really great give give our listeners a little rundown on on uh, what to expect Sure. Uh, the show is called Humor Resources with John Doerr. I play a human resources manager for stand-up comedians. So um, in the midst, I've never used the word midst more than during this pandemic. Um, have you guys been using the word I, midst? I'm totally with or you. Do you I say Mid- yeah. Midst okay. and uh, midst and um, unprecedented, um, unprecedented are definitely like just never before. Way too like much. New normal, yeah, yeah. New normal, new normal yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whatever the new normal yeah. would be, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But midst mm-hmm. is one that's. Got, I, I used to say yeah. middle of a pandemic, but that assumed a, I, I knew when it would be over, so I stopped saying. We're just in it because we're in the midst. Um, I sound like a conspiracy theorist, but um, yeah. So the show, uh, Human Resources. Right um, uh, so CBC. Uh, you know, uh, during the pandemic loss, the Olympics, uh, you know, were canceled. Uh, mm. They were unsure about the hockey season. So, you know, they were looking for programming. And we pitched this show to them about a human resources manager that interviews interviews comedians. I comb through uh, with our team of writers. Uh, we comb through people and researchers. We comb through people's um, transcripts of performances, their, um, their um, uh, social media comments and customer comments. Um, and then I would grill them in a way, in, but very ple- in a pleasant way. I would interview them like a human resources manager would. Uh, would. So I would I- interview them uh, via webcam. However, it's not shot on webcam. We actually send cameras out and mm. have a an, uh, an assistant camera operator in full PPE gear there to interview them. Um, so it's full broadcast quality, and that is a whole conversation that we can't have now, but... Uh, a very important one, the infrastructure that had to go into place to record this and yeah. make it possible. But yeah, so for instance, I would interview Sarah Silverman and tell her that I'm going to highlight a lot of her accomplishments, but also discuss some areas for concern. Mm-hmm. Um, so the whole idea is that it would be ridiculous to try and 
in this highly sensitive uh, cancel culture world, it would be impossible to have someone uh, police the comments and words that stand-up comedians use. Um, so that's where we found, you know, my, my foolish character decided uh, there is a void in this world, and I am going to fill it. So I become the HR manager for stand-up comedians. We show clips of their stand-up comedy. I re-edit them and make suggestions <laughs> of how they should perform to be more inclusive um, <laughs> or to be less exclusive, more importantly. Uh, but I'm all over the place. I suggest that some people may want to perform for the NRA. You know, maybe their material, they're missing an opportunity. There's mm. So my, the whole idea is... Can, can we get the entire world into one big tent? The audience, um, who we call customers, the performers, who are our employees, and then the business of comedy, the clubs and venues. Can we get everyone into one tent where everyone's laughing and no one's offended? That's my goal as an HR stand-up, uh, 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 human resources manager for stand-up comedians. Um, that said, those are the interviews, but it, we also showcase what it's like to work from home in a pandemic. So mm. my girlfriend and her daughter appear in the show as well. And each episode has a theme. And the interviews reflect that theme, and uh, the storyline reflects that uh, theme as well. So my girlfriend likes to cheat at Scrabble by looking up words on her cell phone in real life, <laughs> and so we decided to show that in this episode. So I defy technology and decide I'm not yeah. going to use my cell phone for anything, and I end up getting lost, and uh, my girlfriend's daughter's in the backseat yelling at me, and uh, <laughs> a lot of fun like that. But at the end of the day, I lose. I always lose. Um, as I should. I am a foolish <laughs> thinker, and uh, that's what the show is all about. Can't put a filter on stand-up comedians, and um, I'm not the man to fill that position anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, I mean, it's a, 9.30, Tuesday nights. <clears throat> yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it's an interesting thought. It, it makes me, like, it makes me wonder, like, you, not, not your character, but, like, you, John, yourself, like, you know, in, in exploring all that, what, what do you think about the 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 future of comedy in terms of like you know we we are living in a really weird time with with the the explosion of call out slash cancel culture and and people being highly offended about anything and everything and and you know in particular things that have been said by people you know 15 years ago through a tweet that or, you know, however mm -hmm. long ago, 15 might, might be mm -hmm. a little, a little long for Twitter. Um, but you know, do you, do you think that, do you think that, do you think that there will be a time, uh, in the future where everyone can, can just hear comedians out without, without kind of, without this army of, of, uh, a, a certain subsect, sub, a certain, uh, subsect of, of humans who just like, who, who, rise up and yeah yeah like the, do, you, do you think that do you think that that will exist do you think it'll exist uh and evolve much further or do you think it will dissipate do you think it'll kind of fade out i don't know i am the wrong person to ask i mean i can't predict culture i mean mm -hmm. I, I just can't i mean i think you know social media as incredible uh a, a cultural change it has contributed to is also um i don't know we've seen the worst of us and the best of us um, mm -hmm. um i can't predict what's going to happen i think that's a huge problem is uh you know how much of the online mob is representative of society uh i think corporations feel pressure i think we'll probably reach an equilibrium of like what's genuine and what's not mm. um I also think it's not different. It's the way it was. It's just we're just so connected through social media. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I really don't know. I cannot answer that question. All I know is that, yeah, you feel the pressure now before you press send. You know? Most certainly. You feel. Yep. And, and maybe that's a good thing. I don't think so because intentions, I think, are not being recognized. I think the outcome mm -hmm. is a little yeah. more important now. But the outcome continues yeah. to shift, and that seems to be the yeah. problem, is if the outcome's going to shift, then I think we got to rely on intentions. And right now, intentions are not uh, received very well. Mm. I, was, I, was just listening to, uh, <clears throat> I was just listening to Bill Burr on, on, on Rogan like a couple hours ago, and, uh, and he was talking about 
he went out to do um, he went out to do sets at um, da- at the, the spot that the outdoor spot that Dave Chappelle was doing some uh, some some sets. Oh, okay. Um, in uh, in Ohio, and he was yep. talking about you know he was, went out there and nobody's nobody's allowed to have their cell phone during the show, and he was talking about like how incredible it felt to to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that there was nobody recording, you know, there was nobody that was going to be putting something up and calling him out for this, this material that is, that he, you know, is really in the, in the midst of working on. And, uh, and, and just how freeing that felt and how it felt like him doing comedy, you know, in a, in a bygone era where cell phones and, and, and social media didn't exist. And, you know, I think specifically the quote was something like, you know, I didn't have to worry about somebody getting, I don't, I didn't have to worry about this person out there in the internet getting pissed about a show that they didn't even go to. Yeah. And, and out of like, context oh, too, maybe they saw a clip of it. <clears throat> again, it's a work in progress. It's the, it's the ability to make mistakes um, mm-hmm. and learn from them before you showcase them, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I completely agree. There are comedy clubs when they were open, geez, what a world we live in. Mm-hmm. But like the Denver know, right? comedy works, like you can't bring a cell phone in there. You, mm-hmm. it gets put, you know, into one of those Kevlar bags or whatever mm-hmm. material it is. Yeah, and they're exactly. locked. And it, you, there is a sense of freedom and fun and not in a bad way where it's like, oh, now I can really get away with stuff. But people's attention is focused on you. I mean, we all go to concert where when we used to go to concerts, you know, you just see cell phones up in the air. It's like this, we're watching the concert through a screen instead of watching the concert live in front Mm -hmm. of us. It's like this documenting our lives and naturally we're going to snitch on each other, sometimes justifiably, other times... I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. I I agree. I mean, I hate to be that guy who, you know, oh, I, I yearn for the glory days. But there was something really special about, like, you know, just showing up at an event and watching it live and not being distracted. I hate mm-hmm. distractions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, th- this has been uh, a real treat to sit down and uh, get to shoot the shit with you for a little bit, John. Uh, uh, very excited to hear about the new show, Humor Resources. Uh, again, where, let people know where, where they can find it, uh, when, when and where they can uh, check it out. Uh, uh, CBC, January 5th at 9.30. And so that's a Tuesday night. And uh, for six weeks, we have six episodes. Uh, guests like Sarah Silverman, Nikki Glaser, Arthur Simeon, a lot of great comedians. Um, and you can also watch it on CBC Gem, the app. Uh, but yeah, it starts January 5th. And we'll start promoting it on Instagram at TV's John Doerr. And guys, thanks so much. Yeah. I haven't talked about my seizure in a long time. I think... <laughs> affects your memory well again thanks so much John this has been really great man you bet thanks guys I appreciate it alright that's it for this episode everybody thanks for tuning in as always before we get to our regular sign off stuff I just want to say as you are listening to this on January 4th Tomorrow is our baby boy Jeremy's 33rd birthday. That is three years older than he was told he would live when he was born. Uh, actually, I think it was, I think it was only 25. So it's like he's eight years bonus time right now. And, uh, and we, we just could not love our little button uh, more than we do. So don't forget to send our Jer Bear some love, whether that's on the social medias or it's in your, your, your head before you lay it down to uh, go to bed tonight. Um, we love you, Jer. We really do. We're, we're hoping and praying that you, uh, that you get access to that trichafta so you have to totally, totally reframe and reorganize your plan for life. Because I know that you were, uh, you were thinking that you'd exit this world by now, and, uh, and you still just keep chugging along. So here's to... Uh, I, I, and I think that if we get, the tri- if we get trichafta and we extend your life even more, then you're even more likely to see the day when we find out that aliens are indeed real and that they have developed the technology that can take uh, us uh, into another star system uh, light years and light years away, which we could never achieve uh, with our own technology. And, uh, and on those planets, you can live forever. 
And so you'd really flip your, uh, flip your life expectancy on its head. And that would be, that would be so cool. But anyway, we love you, JR. Happy birthday, buddy. Um, that is it for this week. Uh, thanks. Thank you so much for tuning in, uh, episodes every Monday and Friday, as you know, to get your sick boy fix and you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. But if you can't get enough of it, just on podcasts, why not give us a follow over on Instagram and Twitter at sick boy podcast. If you have any questions or comments you'd like to uh, send our way, or if you want to be on, apply to be on the show, you can go to sickboypodcast.com slash contact, or for those stories, email them directly to us, letters at sickboypodcast.com. Sick Boy Podcast, as you know, is co-produced by Jeremy Saunders, Lauren Sankey, myself, Taylor McGilvery, and Brian Stever. Our social media is run by the lovely Lauren Sankey. Sick Boy Podcast is managed by the one and only Jeff Lonis. Thanks, baby boy Jeff. And uh, here's to the first episode of the new year. We love all you guys. Our team is so great. And the sound design by none other than Donovan, the CPAP Morgan. Man, Rich O'Coin doing the music. Take part doing the music. We have such an awesome team here. Here's to 2021. Um, And you know what? On the first day of 2021, Jer's cat was missing for two weeks and it came back. If that isn't a sign that 2021 is going to blow 2020 out of the fucking water, I don't know what is. Love y'all. See you next week. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.